it's not going to take a lot of zombies to overrun that shop. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. Uh, Today's episode is a really fun one for me. I got to have a great conversation with a guy by the name of Cole Sisson. Cole is the owner of the Doe Bay Wine Company. He also has a project called the Orcas Project, and he has something coming out this summer called Roots Orcas Island. Can you guess what we're talking about? Orcas Island, San Juan Islands. Yes, here we go. Cole grew up on the islands, has a great story. He, he shares a lot of his past and has a lot of fun to listen to. He's, he's, he's lived a very full life. You guys are going to enjoy this one. I know you will. And I also know that you'll follow us if you're not. You'll subscribe if you're not. You're going to send reviews and you're going to share this with your friends. We appreciate every time that you guys do that for us. And we thank you so much. And without any more of me, let's listen to Cole. All right, Cole. Well, welcome to this episode. Thanks for being on and go. <laughs> Just go. Let's, Tell me. Let's, talk. let's do it, Scott. Let's do it. What, where should we start? Well, let's talk about where you are today, right now, and then we'll navigate, meander around. We're not going to go in a straight line. That'd be boring. So buckle up. Let's just go. So what's right, happening so, today? Well, today is, a, is an exceptionally busy day in the world of young Cole on Orcas. Um, I'm currently <laughs> on the couch of uh, my best friend Shay at his place. Uh, and um, earlier today, I was in the shop. We were helping some friends find some property. Um, later today, we'll meet with our web designer who's coming up from Seattle with her boyfriend and uh, have a little fun tonight in between. I'll be back and forth at the shop. It's, it's constantly moving here. There's a lot of moving pieces. And as we sure. mentioned prior, uh, this is a busy time of year. I mean, if we don't have everything in place on Orcas before the summer season, you know, we can't get caught with our pants down. I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, the, the gates will open here in a couple of months and, you know, there'll be people everywhere. It's like the zombie apocalypse. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> So you, you mentioned before we hit the button that your shop is currently 440 square feet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not going to take a lot of zombies to overrun that shop. I mean, it's square oh, footage wise. Oh. But during the season, what's it like? I mean, what, you know, what's it like as a retailer during that season? Well, it's exciting. It's intimidating. It's challenging. You know, I mean, with a space that size, even when those companies on the island have larger spaces, right? I mean, it's easier to get overflow, but the amount of, of tourism here is, is, is unbelievable, you know, compared to when I was a, a kid growing up. I mean, it's just the people everywhere. So for us, we have to be really careful. We're tucked away. You have to work a little harder to find us. And that mm-hmm. works to our advantage, having those spatial constraints. So you kind of have to like meander down the alley and, and be like, oh, hey, it's still, wow, it's tiny. There's some barrels <laughs> outside to taste. And, you know, I mean, maximum occupancy inside is like 12 people. So like, <laughs> oh, all right. So but it's, a, it's a special experience. So like for me, when setting up the business, when I'm thinking of the labor pool here on the island, I mean, it's mm-hmm. cha- that's one of the, our biggest challenges is there's just not a lot of people to work. And so right. one of the reasons this space was so attractive in all spaces that I look at um, is because it's small. And from an overhead perspective, but even more importantly, based on the fact that one individual can work it. 
It's a little mm. too busy for one person and, and usually not quite busy enough for two, but gotcha. I don't have to search for a whole team to be in that building. So with our new space that we're opening later on mm-hmm. this summer, that's a big concern is, is how do we fill um, the positions? Right. And we'll come back. We're going to, we're going to, oh, sure, sure. we're going to, well, teaser, you have to wait folks. All right. So you grew up on the Island. Tell us about what was it like growing up? <laughs> I mean, come on now, from a touristy standpoint, the San Juans is like one of the preeminent destinations in Washington state to go and hang out. And yet uh, you and a guest we had on a while ago who runs the uh, the salt company, you know, you guys grew up there. You grew up on this. What was it like? <laughs> Well, it, it becomes more, more, more fascinating and surreal and kind of interesting the older I get, right? So, okay. like growing up on the island, we don't, we don't know the difference. You know, when I was a, when I was young, you know, I, there's three thousand people on the island, and it yeah. was very kind of more that kind of the hippie culture and alternative lifestyle. And Orcas the demographics have changed a lot over the years, but growing up was super idyllic. I mean, mm-hmm. specifically for myself, I grew up in Dobe on the east side of the islands. My parents had moved there in the early seventies, early in the early twenties. And oh, wow. we had a little piece of acreage. We had pygmy goats and chickens and rabbits. And my father built cabinets and, you know, we were homeschooled, my four okay. siblings and I. So we grew up in the woods. I mean, we were out there and on Orcus, like Orcus is a little, right? And then we get mm-hmm. to the east side, Dobe, it's tiny. And then Mount Pickett, it's, you know, there were, it was, uh, it was beautiful for a child to be raised in such a place. I mean, I don't have children of my own, but I, mm-hmm. I look at this kind of um, spot as just one of the more magical, um, so full of creativity and beauty mm-hmm. and ideas and kind of a blank slate. A lot of older, the older generation always told us to follow our dreams. We're always trying to prompt us to like, you don't move to Orcas to, to make money necessarily. Mm-hmm. You move here for a lifestyle. And I, I think that that was something that was kind of, uh, communicated to us from our parents and, and the older generation. And uh, it created a, a, a fascinating collection of people, I think, that all started exploring kind of alternative ways to live life. Mm-hmm. So put you on the spot with a question, a very pointed question that you weren't prepared for. So <laughs> give us an example of something from your childhood that now when you look back on it, you're like, wow, I can't imagine that that really did happen. I mean, there's, you know, how's that? So what, what happened when you were a kid? Was there anything that happened when you were a kid that when you look back on it, you're like, wow, I wouldn't have had that if I grew up in Seattle. Well, so many come to mind, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be careful here. Cause I don't know our, our audience um, okay. who's, who's going to listen, but there's a couple and both take place in Dobe. So let's point two out. Uh, one was the fact that my friends and I, when we were homeschooled, we used to have a little dinghy, just a little skiff, a little rowboat on the beach down from our house. And I remember several times going out, but one time we went out when I was very young and we were caught between two pods of whales. And so we were out there with no motor, just out there paddling along. And all of a sudden there were enormous orca whales jumping around us all over us, coming, breaching the water. And the three of us just sat there like in the, in between, like they could talk about a dreamlike setting, you know? So, I mean, I don't think that happens to every small child. And I think our parents were pretty upset when we got back and we were like, guess what happened? We were out there and they were orcas swimming under us and jumping over us. And, you know, <laughs> um, and then there was also like back in the day <laughs> on the other side, Doe resort was, 
it wasn't quite the place it is now. I mean, the, the Brothertons have done an incredible job kind of creating its current iteration. But back in the day, it was more ramshackle. I remember they had like a, you know, like a nudist retreat. And it was like, okay. fr- it was like free or willy. <laughs> it was like so- <laughs> some kind of group of people and in our young ages the parents are like don't go down to dobe don't walk down there this week so like maybe you don't live five minutes away from such a convention you know <laughs> that was not part of my childhood let's just put it that way <laughs> okay awesome so you I love that. That's great. I see I see I love it when we just like don't have you know a script and we just go. So you well all right I mean, I just, that's, that's awesome. That's, people that's in the just, city hear these stories and it's like, what? Yeah. What? Just a bunch of hippies in the woods. And boy, was, yeah. what was it peaceful? So you were homeschooled till to eighth grade and then you went to local high school there on Orcas Island, right? Yeah. You, I went to, okay. uh, to middle, second half of middle school. So eighth grade. Okay. And then uh, high school at the time had, I think it was about 200 students in terms of the total enrollment. So I spent okay. all, four, all four years here in high school. And that was another uh, interesting affair, you know? I mean, small community, small town living. Right. But then you went to a small college. I mean, the University of Washington's <laughs> not exactly a big school. So was that was that not just complete, like, culture shock to you to go from a school with, say, 200 people uh, to probably having a class with that many people in it as a freshman? Yeah, I think Psych 101, my freshman year was like 650 students yeah. and it was just like well this is like a th- like a sixth of my island you know right and, yeah oh man i i don't know how everyone else does it i'd love to sit down and compare stories sometimes and kind of narratives of what what happens as a small community uh, when you go to a large city i mean i was living in the u district i was 18 and we didn't we don't have stoplights on the island you know, I mean, we run around our, you know, I mean, we, we come from a world where everything is kind of to- just tolerated and just don't hurt others. And it's a, a world of, you know, there's not a lot of fights. There's not a lot of crime. It's this, it's this setting. It's like you get down there and all of a sudden it's gritty, you know, and all of a right. sudden you go down in the city and I'd spent time there my junior and senior years. We had older friends who moved down there, but like, it's huge. I mean, just realizing, I think just how to behave in a real world setting. And I mm-hmm. always talk about Orcus and I talk about the real world. Because I don't think a lot of us are ready and uh, understand. And there's so many, the the rules and how the game is played. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was fascinating to me to be thrown into the dorms with people from all walks of life. Uh, Other small towns on the peninsula, eastern Washington, but a lot of kids from Seattle and Tacoma and L.A. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was a huge culture shock. I hate stoplights and traffic. And to this day, I mean, it's like I come from a world of like, you know, and we just went where we wanted to. We knew exactly how long it would take. And then, you know, as long as you behaved, you didn't have to deal with any anyone. So uh, we could get into all the trials and tribulations that my friends and I um, overcame. But uh, it was it was intense. Yeah, um, see, I just I remember a, a story. I mean, I was. Twelve. And a f- 12 or 13 and a f- family friend of ours had, was just a freshman at, at, U, at UW. And he said, Hey, come on up for a weekend. I'm like, Oh, okay. my mom and dad are like, yeah, you can, go up, go, you can go up there for the weekend. And you know, the one, the one major takeaway is, you know, where Haggett Hall is Haggett and McMahon. Are, are oh, they yeah. still there? Okay. That's a long time ago. I, I, um, yeah. And I don't know what time it, we were out, we were out doing stuff and it was night. And, all of a sudden, 
you may not know this. Well, you probably have heard the, heard of the album. You might not listen to, but like Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon was oh, yeah. blaring from some window in Haggett hall. And the, the, the time where all the clocks are going off and it was like reverberating around. And I'm just like, college is cool. Oh, and I was just like, I was like 13. And, um, Anyway, then I went to Central. I didn't go to the UW. But anyway. That's I, funny you should mention that, though. Because first off, when I got to UW, I'm not sure I realized that, you know, that marijuana was illegal coming from Orcus. I think okay. I got down there. And um, <laughs> I actually lived in Haggett Hall my freshman year. But at that time at the University of Washington, they had a, two smoking floors on the campus, one in the southern and one in the northern half. So I lived on a floor at the University of Washington that was completely legal to smoke on. You would just, I mean, the whole floor is filled with cigarette, tobacco, cigar, other smoke of other kinds. Yeah, like, other I smoking. think back on it now, 18 years old, and I'm like, how did that fly? <laughs> yeah, it was Anyhow. just like, college was a very interesting time of my life as well. Yeah. All right. So, but you still didn't go back to Orcas after, after you got out of the U, it looks like you went to Europe. Yeah, you know, I, I actually took a year off in between my junior and senior years. I was studying political science. I was studying oh. art history. I was okay. really into yeah, art history and poli sci. And then I actually studied Arabic for, I was thinking about going into Middle Eastern politics, like into a world of, it was 2002. You know, it Ooh. seemed like there was a lot of trouble and a lot of, just there were just a lot of, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so sure. I'm studying, you know, Leonardo on one end and, you know, Thomas Paine on the other. And I'm trying to figure out like where I want to be. Um, but there's, you know, I ended up taking a year off. I had some, I had some things going on and I took off and went to Europe for six months. So basically what happened is I, I didn't, I'd been working in restaurants since I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was paying for school that way. And I moved back to Orcas for a period of time to work. I worked construction. I worked with my dad, um, made some money, and I just wanted to travel. All I really Mm -hmm. wanted to do was travel. And so I ended up backpacking around, bought a one-way ticket to Europe, and spent six months over there just backpacking, working in hostels, riding the trains. I was up in Poland. I was down in Czech. I was in Spain. I was, I mean, six months is is a grip. So I was there, and Bless you. I was there and it was uh, one of those, you know, really, really uh, formative times because I, I came back with this appreciation for not only um, kind of cultural interaction and the ability, mm-hmm. but how we live and how we share the world. But just also that my industry of food and beverage that was just kind of means to an end. I mean, I had done a PR internship. I was working on other, I, I wasn't going to work in restaurants my whole life. Come on. So I, I ended up coming back and being like, holy crap, you know, we've got cheese and charcuterie and beer and cider and and all of these opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, It changed my life. It changed my perspective and it it gave me a ton of confidence. Um, And it just showed me how rich and deep the world really is. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. And after that, it was the rabbit hole was, I mean, I haven't stopped. (laughs) Right. So when you came back, did you, did you go back to the U? Did you finish yeah, went, up? Yeah, yeah, I went back to school, <laughs> finished up my degree. So, okay. and then uh, jumped right into, I, actually my senior year at UW, I started taking sommelier classes at the same time congruently with, um, uh, at South Seattle Community College, there was a, a professor there, a teacher named Shane Bjornholm, who at the time was um, in charge of the wine program at Canlis Restaurant in Seattle. And he was teaching these, uh, these classes. And so here I was <laughs> during the day taking poli-sci classes and trying to figure out, you know, what, what on earth is going on in Beirut, which 
I don't know. I just couldn't figure it out. I don't, you know, and then I'm at night learning about wines of the world and tasting and talking my way with all of these excited students. And it was so much more fascinating to me than the mm-hmm. line of study that I was currently involved in that uh, once I finished at UW and then I received my first kind of level, if you will, of sommelier certification. And mm-hmm. that was it for me. It was, you know, full, full speed ahead. I was 22 years old. I mean, back in the day, like at 22, when you were like, all right, I'm a sommelier, people were like, huh? Because it wasn't that cool then. It was still like, what, 2002, 2003. It was like way, way before. I'm not sure it's cool right. now either. But back then it was, I mean, it went through it to wave. It had a, it had a wave. And now it's kind of like, all right, just don't be pretentious yeah. and we'll be cool. Right. And that's, and that's kind of, so, you know, you, you ended up at one of the John Howie restaurants. You know. Yeah, yeah. I actually moved to Vail first. I moved to Colorado okay. and practiced and kind of I, I started, went back to high-end restaurants there and just, I mean, Vail was a trip coming from Doe Bay. You know, people walking, <laughs> people walking through the door and piling like chinchilla coats on me. I couldn't even see the sommelier anymore because there were so many fur coats on his, on his lap, you know, but like that was the world of um, really intense privilege and just kind of really fascinating uh, consumption habits. <laughs> mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm sitting there. I mean, before, you know, I got to champagne at 30, 40 bucks back then. It's a lot of money. Now it's a lot of money. But when you're starting <laughs> to get into a world of, you know, champagne flights plus caviar tasting and before you sit down, you spent $300 and like, okay. And I, so I learned a lot about kind of the like fine dining. You know, I'd learned mm-hmm. it on Orcus in high school with Bruce and Christina Orchid, but it was fascinating to me. And I loved Colorado. I thought it was an incredible state, but I missed the water. I missed the salt water. I missed Washington so much. I always thought mm-hmm. if I lived anywhere else, it would be Colorado. So I wanted to try it and okay. people were cool. Everything was cool. But at the end of the day, like the sense of place in the Puget Sound and especially Orcas in my family brought me back here. And that's when I started working for the John Howie restaurant group. Yeah. But you didn't stay there forever. I jumped around a lot. I mean, yeah, of- you've got, you've got this, this, this is a pretty, uh, and we're giving kind of the condensed version here. Um, but you, you, you ended up in this, this, uh, not, not many people have ever heard of, you know, this little place called the Bellagio. Um, how did you, how'd you end up? How'd you end up at the Bellagio? Oh, a few wrong turns. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so, Okay, so John Howie Restaurant Group, I was working in Bellevue, I was working in Seattle, uh, I was the assistant wine director, worked for Eric Home. that was really great. Uh, I went back, I wanted to learn the industry, I really wanted to be a well-rounded professional, and I looked at people and I thought to myself, okay, so I have the restaurant background, but I need to learn the rest of the business in order to really understand. So mm-hmm. I went and I worked distribution for a period of time, I worked importing and distribution, and then I okay. went to work, I uh, worked a harvest internship for a winemaker named Bob Betts over in Woodenville, really accomplished master of wine. Like one of the coolest guys in the industry. So I spent a couple of years, uh, uh, one full harvest and another one helping out with him. So I learned how to like how to make wine. I learned how to import, how to sell, how to educate. Um, I was back in restaurants working for uh, RN74, which is a restaurant in downtown near Pike Place. Michael Mina, chef out of San Francisco. Um, that's his one of his flagship restaurants. And um, the, the group as a whole asked if I would like to, kind of out of the blue, 
I love working at RN74. I was selling high-end burgundy and champagne, wearing sports coat, jeans, tennis shoes. I mean, that was the <laughs> life, right? Like, I'm a casual guy. Like, to me, I'm selling ex- beautiful, some of the most incredible wines of the world on my own terms. I've, you know, I mean, right. I have to work, have a, have a little sip of mezcal. I've got my friends around. And then the, uh, the VP and asked if I wanted to move down to Las Vegas. They needed somebody to run uh, the wine program at the Bellagio. And it was like, I'm 32, and it's like the Bellagio. Wow, like it's the Bellagio. Like I had to like talk about like a stunning, like my GM pulls me into the wine cellar and says, so here's what these guys are thinking. And it's like, oh, wow. I mean, Vegas is a tough place for me. I like to have fun. So Vegas is one of those places where for me, I'm very careful about how, like my frequency of, of going to Las Vegas, who I'm with. What, I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, it's Las Vegas. And all of a sudden it's like, ooh, the Bellagio. So I thought about it and I was like, I went down there. I went to San Francisco. I talked to the group down there just to ask them more. I went to the Bellagio and I spent a couple nights down there, like in the restaurant. Like, I don't know. I mean, this is pretty intense. Lots of suits. I got to cut my hair. Like, I don't know. This is, I don't know if it's me, but look, from a professional perspective, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, that punches my ticket, right? I can do whatever after Mm -hmm. that. So I said, okay, let's go. I jumped in my Volkswagen GTI with my little brother. It was like, I don't know young at the time maybe he was 18 i hope okay and then a buddy of mine went down there i ended up um, kind of living at the monte carlo for a period of time because i didn't know where to go i was just kind of so out of the water and i eventually lived on the strip between the aria and the cosmopolitan hotels for ease of access i thought to myself i don't live in las vegas i don't want to live in the suburbs might as well live on the strip it was classic classic foolhardy behavior i mean so I basically put my little suit on, my tie, you know, shaved and then shined my shoes, went, went to the Bellagio. And there, I mean, on the restaurant wine list, we had bottles of wine at $67,000, $47,000 a bottle. I mean, we had a list of pages of wine that was, I mean, it was, it was, it was boggling. I mean, Carlos mm-hmm. Santana would be in, we would deal with, I mean, it was just like the, though tonight we have the golden state warriors and they've rented out the, so, oh, Hey, it's Steph Curry. Hey, it's so, hey, yeah. Steve Curry. I remember you back in the day with Scotty yeah. and Michael. It was so intense. That environment was so intense living on this strip and working there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I made it two years. <laughs> I made it two years in Las Vegas, which might be of all my accomplishments. I, I, nearly, I, I nearly lost my mind a couple of times, but uh, it was it was a fascinating study in both professional and personal uh, growth, uh-huh. and the psychology of that city and those resorts is so fascinating. And to this day, going back and understanding kind of how things work a little better, I'm not sure anyone can understand quite how things work there, but mm-hmm. um, it's so interesting to be like, there's a blip on my journey. So got to ask, did you ever sell one of those $67,000 <laughs> bottles of wine? No, those are, those are pretty inflated pricing, even for like yes. 1928 Latash and like old DRC. That's still pretty, pretty aggressive pricing. I'm not going to lie. But uh, okay. a lot of those bottles go to people that, um, you know, I guess we call them the high rollers. I mean, if you lose a million dollars on the floor, or a couple million bucks, then, you know, you might want a nice bottle of wine in your plane or, you know, later that evening and you might sit there. It's, it's a bizarre world when it, when it comes to um, what we see there. Um, uh-huh. So those, most of those bottles, the really expensive ones are comped. I think the only, the highest price bottle I sold, like sold, like the individuals paying for, 
was like $18,000, which I mean, that's, that's still a lot a, of cash, man. That's <laughs> a mean, lot of cash. Are you kidding? $18,000 for a chunk of like, I don't know. Yeah. That was a world that I still laugh at because I'm not, I mean, you see me on the screen. I'm not sure everybody else right. will, but like. No, no one else will see us. So I'm going to describe he's, he's wearing a Seattle Mariners baseball cap, old school Mariners cap with a hoodie on, uh, you know, so that's, that's the guy I'm talking to right now. Okay. He's not in a suit. I'm wearing a sarcastic t-shirt. So I mean, this is, we're very pretentious today. Uh, I don't know. I, I couldn't, I don't think at any point in my life would I have, survive down there much less for two years if i didn't have my family and also like i i met some really incredible people down there i think that externally there were some there's some great people i have good like awesome friends down there to this day a really fun professional community i think Mm -hmm. internally and i used to go to like san diego drive all night or fly to mexico city just to relax because it was so intense in las vegas that my my like my time to just kind of decompress was in someplace like Mexico city. Like that's how intense it was. Um, and it was really, yeah, it it was a, it was a fascinating place, but I also came to appreciate the desert, which we don't Mm -hmm. have as much of here in Western Washington. Um, and I, I learned a ton about myself. So I think at any point in time in life, when you can put yourself in a situation that challenging and that foreign, um, it forces you to really kind of, uh, (laughs) to, to learn, (laughs) So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because there's still a lot more of your journey, but let's, let's get you back on the Island because that's where, that's what we really want to like talk about because what you're doing on the Island. So in, in, in a very quick recap, you, how'd you get from Vegas to the Island? Don't say okay. So quick Just recap don't. is, is, is Vegas. I, I, I turned against that world of kind of fine dining and, and celebrity chef. I went to work for a family in Spain. Okay. So I took a job as national sales director, uh, working with my friend Lane Boswell for a old farming family, dirt on their hands, growing grapes, the real part of the winemaking in the wine industry mm-hmm. that was attractive to me in Northern Spain. So I traveled all over the country. Okay. So I was back and forth. And then I met my ex-wife in Philadelphia. We moved back out to Seattle. And at that mm-hmm. point in time, I was back home. So I've been in Vegas and now I'm like, okay, I'm back in Seattle. And so at that point, we decided we would basically uh, move up to the island to go spend the summer on the island. Uh, we ended up staying up here. So we basically came back to Orcas just to spend a summer working. We kept our place in Ballard. We're just going to head up there for a couple months. You know, everything is cool. Uh, it, great to ground ourselves. And so that's originally how I got back on the island. Um, we ended up going through a divorce and she moved back to the East Coast but I stayed. I, I looked at the options and thought to myself, okay, do I, do I sell my property and the business? Do I move back to Seattle or do mm-hmm. I stay up here on Marcus? And at the end of the day, you know, I told somebody this yesterday, um, at the end of the day, if I moved back to Seattle and just started over, the only thing I would want to be doing is, is making money so that I could buy a piece of land on Orcas so that I could start my own business again. So I ended up kind of buying everything back and I've been back on Orcas for three and a half years. Okay. That's the abridged version. <laughs> There's the abridged version, folks. Well, you you came across, so my social media person, Mackenzie, uh, found, I think she found you because of the Orcas Project. Yeah. Okay. And she said, you know, so she's, Kenzie, um, who's my daughter? 
just every, you know, most people that listen to this would probably know that. But so she sends me, hey, this is cool. Check this out. And so I'm always, oh, this is cool. Or, and so I'm, but when she sent me, the link she sent me was to a blog post and, I, and, it, and it confused me. Um, so then I reach out to you and I see the Dobay and I'm like, so I, I got confused. So I, I did a little bit of research. <laughs> so I'd like to talk about, let's talk about the Orcas Project. Okay. What was the, what was the inspiration and what do you hope this turns into? Whew. Okay. So inspiration. Um, let's see. Rewinding back to when I was in Seattle before moving back to Orcas. I had just finished working for the Spanish winery, right? Bodegas Ontanion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I thought to myself, I want to have a little project, a little wine project of my own. And I thought it would be really fun to work with Spanish grapes in Washington state. Uh, combining this kind of newfound passion and love of Spain and bring it back here. And I want, I don't want to, I don't want to live anywhere else. Like for me, after Las Vegas and traveling so much, I'm, I'm comfortable. This is my home. Here's my Seattle Mariners hat. Like my family's here, my sisters, my brother, my parents, like this is, this is home. It was always home, but now I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I don't need to continue to explore living in other places. So I ended up contacting a friend of mine whose name is Javier Alfonso, and he's actually an engineer, an aerospace engineer, who's originally from Spain and makes wine in Woodenville. And I asked if he would do a small project with me where we would work on some Spanish grapes. And um, basically, we would put together kind of a local artist, so a woman named Carlin Hayworth, and she would illustrate a label. Uh, I liked you know, this idea of the fantastic Mr. Fox, the Wes Anderson film. So we created this raccoon that would represent Javier. And then we basically put together a Tempranillo, Graciano, and Albarino, a little, a little collection of wines. So mm-hmm. it was intended to be just kind of a small like concept. It was really, it blossomed after that, after moving back to Orcas and realizing that I really wanted to keep my relationships intact with a number of uh, winemakers in in Washington state, I really wanted to continue to be able to see people in Yakima on the gorge and Walla Walla. And so basically went through and put together, um, a collection of winemakers and asked friends of mine who made wine, if they would also be willing to kind of do these custom projects for us. So the Orcas project kind of started, there's a winery called long shadows winery here in Washington state. And they've done this very similar concept very well with winemakers from around the world. So I looked at that and thought to myself, that's a really cool kind of a way to have a diversified portfolio of winemakers who are making different styles of wine. So I looked at that. I looked at the negociant model, which is a model in Europe, especially all over, I guess, but it, it's utilized in France and Italy quite a bit where winemakers or, or individuals who would like to be part of the process can hire winemakers, um, winemakers not have their own vineyards. Um, they can, mm. they can, they can blend barrels together. They can contract in grapes. They can buy finished wine and blend it. It's a very creative form that allows people that don't have these estate, large palatial tracts of land to still be part of the process. So I looked at that. And then also I have a love of, of Mexico and, and Oaxaca specifically in Mezcal, which we can discuss for hours later. But <laughs> I, I pulled that in too, where in, in, in Oaxaca in the area, like a lot of the, um, what they call like mezcaleras, like these, these basically these places you'll go and, and, and the producers in the, in the hills and villages will bottle Mezcal for them and, and with their name on the back and they do credit. Um, so I combined oh. these different influences and basically I, I, we've gone up to 10 different winemakers. And so basically each winemaker has a specific kind of, um, 
um, bottling or, or style, and they all are represented by a different animal. And what what I do is is I go around to visit each each winery and each winemaker, and each year we put together kind of an idea of what we'd like to do for the project. And um, they're very very tiny production and micro production. Lots of them are only fifty cases, sixty case wines, and um, okay. so it's it's a really really interesting way to kind of um, just present, like still have my hands in the process, but also still work with friends and have my own label, if you will. So it become it's become kind of like this fun way to create orcas artists, Washington state. We work with some Oregon winemakers too, but the bulk of our winemakers are in Washington state. And uh, it's a really, really cool, uh, really fun, also a creative outlet. Like I didn't intend to be by myself on Orcas Island. You know, for me, it's like, I miss some of my community outside of the island. And so this gets me off the island and my team as well on a regular mm-hmm. basis to go visit the barrel rooms and the tasting rooms. And it's really dynamic and it's, it's, it's really fun. So in some cases you're only making 50 or 60 cases of wine. That mm-hmm. is, that is very small. <clears throat> I don't, and I'm, I'm on, <laughs> so I, I want to ask this question. So sure. I'm, I'm reading this review kind of while we talk and you know, I'm looking at everything. What's the, what is the pricing range of these, of these wines? <laughs> Well, the pricing range, they start in the, uh, like the, the low 20s. You okay. know, I mean, we have some some wines that we make a little bit more of, a, a Chardonnay and a Red Blend, and I think 23, okay. 25, 21. So very, very approachable price. Very approachable on that end. They go all yeah. the way up to the mid-40s. For example, Doug Tunnell at Brickhouse Vineyards in Newburgh, you know, or like a Chris Peterson out of Venia you know, down in Woodenville, these, these guys make some incredible wines for us. So, but we try to keep things approachable, you know, right. we try to create a world. Yeah. We, we want everyone to be able to enjoy. There are a lot of wines that are priced extremely high by accomplished winemakers from vineyards that are were recognized internationally. But at the end of the day, part of this project is, you know, I mean, it's, it's very much orcas centered and um, mm-hmm. it's uh, definitely one of those that we try to ensure that, it's not over the top, you know? No, it's, those are very, very uh, affordable. I'm going to drop a bottle so off put, for you I'm, soon. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Here's this. Here, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to pick your favorite of what you're doing Uh-oh, there. Oh, I mean, that's cool. I know, I, I know it is. I know, but I'm not going to back down on this one. I'm going to, I'm going to say you got to, as of today, as of this recording oh. and the, the mood that you're in right now, <laughs> what would you say? The mood that I'm in right now, I would say, was spring in the air, and I would say a white wine. Mm-hmm. I see the sun today, and I'm debating. <laughs> a, I'm debating a meal of Buck Bay clams. Um, I think the Grenache Blanc and Rousson blend that we make with a winemaker named Morgan Lee down in Woodenville. And I think that it's really pure and fresh, got kind of this white peach on the nose. It has great texture. It's a beautiful seafood wine. It has an illustration of a crab on the front of okay. the crab. And I think as we, I drink wine by season. So, I mean, I'm just getting out of the world of like darker, heavier Syrah, Tempranillo, and I'm starting to enter my spring drinking. And then I'll move to summer. <laughs> I'll move to my summer rhythm soon. But for okay. now, I'm on like kind of like lighter white. Um, okay. So I, yeah, yeah. 
I'm going to go with that. Answer. Final answer, Scott. Final answer. But see, that's a great <laughs> answer. That's because it's, I'm not, I have a non-existent palate for wine. Let's, let's just call it that. I, you know, you could, you could set up some tastings for me and go, well, which one do you think is the best wine? And I might pick the, you know, the Franzia that you slipped in there as a joke. If you know, you like I it, might it's do the best wine. It's- I might do that, you know, uh, but one of the things that I do appreciate about wine is so the people I talk to about wine, which not, not that I have an extensive conversation with about wine, but you're all so passionate about it. You're all great storytellers. You, you just, you you know, you said, this is why I'm having this because I'm thinking about having clams for lunch, it's spring, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not just like, yeah, I'm going to have that. It's <laughs> you, you're able to articulate that, which I think is, which is fabulous. I spend my waking hours thinking about what I'm going to eat and what I'm going to drink next week. <laughs> that does not sound like a bad life. Uh, that does not sound like a bad life at all. So what's next for the, for the project then? I mean, what, what, how do you think it'll look? Is what's, is what's the evolution going to look like for it? That's a great question. And I think that right now where I'm going with it is, you know, I mean, I have a, a bottle shop on the Island too, right? It's called Dobe wine mm-hmm. company. It's in the middle of town. And so Orca, the Orcas project kind of is, it takes the place of our house wine. If you will, we do tasting flights of it. Uh, we, we sell quite a bit of it through the little taste room, which is part of the wine of the, of the bottle shop. But I think okay. what I'd like to do in the future is, is actually branch out a little further. We've started shipping quite a few bottles and cases out um, just because people will come here in the summer and enjoy a bottle. And because the production is so low, it's not available in any retail shops outside of Orcas. And so it okay. becomes one of those things where it's definitely one of the uh, something that it, it's a treat, I think, and, and kind of a say, rite of passage. But it becomes one of those stops, one of those experiences that you enjoy on the island. And, and I think you um, maybe a lot of people are nostalgic once they return to their homes or their other locations uh, for that <laughs> sense of, wow, I remember on the island when we drank Grenache Blanc with Buckberry clams. Like it's kind of. I think we're going to split it off though a little bit and, and I'd, I'd like to increase production. I would like to okay. get to a place where in some of the small Seattle bottle shops or, or other bottle shops around the state, you might be able to find uh, one or two bottles of, from one of these winemakers. And um, we've looked at planting grapes, you know, we've definitely looked uh, with winemakers at planting grapes on the Island and just haven't, haven't done that yet for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but that could happen in the future. We're still, land prices are really high here now. So it's definitely much more challenging than it could have been. And we've looked at like sharecropping. We've looked at like leasing out someone's like, but I don't know that I want to farm necessarily. I I think I really like the ease at which going to someone else. And uh, in my older age, (laughs) I've really decided that uh, letting people specialize in what they're good at, what they're passionate about, so letting the grape grower spend all of his time farming these beautiful grapes in the vineyard, letting the winemakers spend all of their time in the cellar tasting and going through the barrels and blending, and letting myself come in and recognize those people for what they do. And then also having the time and ability on my end to do other things that I'm more passionate about. So I love wine, but I love having a team of collaborators who all specialize mm-hmm. in different elements. So stay tuned. I think, I think we're at the capacity for winemakers right now. I, I get carried away sometimes. And some of these projects take two years from 
okay. you know, inception all the way to finished product. I'm looking at projects now that are two years down the line. And so I'll get excited, you know, one month, you know, yeah, a little squirrely, have a little bit too much mezcal in my tiny house and be like, you know what we should do, we should, we should do this. And, um, so I have to rein myself back in. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I love it. Well, we're going to pull you in a different direction. Let's talk about this other project that you've got coming up here on the island. How's that? Since, you know, you just talked about Mescal in your tiny house, but no, no, that's, that's not enough. What else you got going on? Uh, well, this is, I mean, this is kind of a sneak peek. I don't know when this will broadcast, but um, we're just, uh-huh. when will this, when, when will it? <laughs> Um, actually this will go live very shortly, uh, in about four days. Okay. Okay. All right. Well then here we go. All right. Uh, ready. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So we're going to open So my best friend from childhood. I mentioned him earlier. That's where I'm sitting on this couch at the moment, but, uh, Shay Sasan, we grew up together here on the Island and, you know, he has a similar path to my own. We played baseball. We were homeschooled together you know, thick as thieves. Um, we graduated high school in the same year. I went to Seattle for school. He went to Southern California for school and he lived down there for almost 18 years. So I spent 18 years off the island as, as did he. And, uh, he married a beautiful wife. He has three, three girls and he moved back to the island two, three years ago, two years ago. And okay. we've long during playing golf and hiking and, and discussed possible, like, what, what could we do in the future that would be fun? What on Orcus can we put together? And so we decided recently, uh, space became available here in East Sound, right in the middle. And uh, we're going to open a wine bar and cafe, and we're going to call it Roots Orcus Island. And okay. uh, roots to symbolize kind of our deep roots and deep connection to this island and the community and the culture. And uh, we're going to create kind of a cultural hub we're going to do coffee and uh, uh, toasts and, and bowls and, and lunch during the day. And then we're going to transition to a wine bar with a kind of a comprehensive cheese and charcuterie program at night. We're going to have a full commercial kitchen for guest chefs and winemaker dinners and cooking classes and really just create uh-huh. a, a space where um, our family, our friends, visitors to the island can go. Uh, it's, it's a massive undertaking. It's definitely one of those spaces that it's really it's you know what it is it's the old grocery store on the island so where we shopped when we were kids which was templins and now our friend uh-huh. J- jacob linus and his brother jason own and run island market which is a, is a is a is a large market but when we were kids it was in this which is now raised pharmacy and so as we're going through like the floor and the ceiling shay and i are talking about like when we were six seven years old shopping in this place with our parents and it's so rich in history and it's just one of those places that for us, you know, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a really interesting. We're hoping to open in the summer. Our goal is, is July 1st right now, but uh, okay. we'll see what happens with, you know, the County and the code and the contracting and everything, but. What can go wrong? Oh, what can go wrong? I thought I was busy. And then we decided a couple months ago, like, let's do this. You know, I was in, right. I was in Mexico and I agreed to the lease down there and I was like, Oh, okay, let's make it happen. So, uh, it's going to be awesome. We are, so we are so one, excited. One thing we, we talked about before this episode was your, your, your current bottle shop is a whopping about 440 <laughs> square feet. 
<laughs> How big is this space, this new space going to be? Oh, it's around 1,600, 1,700 square feet. Okay. It's, uh, it's, so it's, four, it's, four times the size? Yeah, yeah it's a good size. I mean, yeah, it has, it has a patio outside, you know, and it's okay. going to have, it's, I, I wish I was, I wish I had a video or something, but it's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, so we're working with our friend, Christina McFadden Chumas, and she's helping out with, uh, all the design. And she just, uh, recently was working for Gensler in Seattle. And then Darlin Gray is helping out with like logo and Madden Serbach. A guy on the Island is actually doing a lot of work with us on consulting. He's opened several okay. restaurants. And so we have like assembled this team of, of people that whew, we're going to have a, uh, we're, we're working on like we do a little kick, Kickstarter campaign. So one of the goals okay. for us is we've seen these and we've raised uh, quite a bit of funding already, but uh, we're going to do kind of this cool little Kickstarter for experiences like, you know, working with uh, Girl Meets Dirt, working with some other companies and like we're hoping to get everybody involved. We really want it to be a place where everybody feels comfortable. Um, okay. a spot where our friends can come back, you know, the Island is so small and families move away, people get older, but really want to have a place where anybody who has a connection to the Island or, or a new or old can come back and feel comfortable. And, and also just, you know, um, it, it's important to us. There aren't enough spaces like that on the Island right now, especially not ones that have been started by, you know, I say natives and the people that have been here and understand there are a lot of new businesses and really cool businesses on the Island. Like, don't get me wrong. But there really aren't a lot that are are being run and started by people that are, are from the island. So we're excited. Very cool. So I have to ask because you know you, you said the magic word for me, which is coffee. Uh, have you guys picked what type of coffee you're going to have? Please. We open, we put a crowdsourcing on Facebook and had like 112 responses. Like we were curious. Cause we're oh. going to, we're going to interview. I know we're going to interview roasters. We're going to go around and, you know, we talked to local okay. goods here, but like we're looking at Northwest kind of roasting companies and trying to figure out, but we're going to go sit down and taste and talk. But I mean, please, Scott, what, uh, any, any thoughts? I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> Oh man, there are so, yeah, I guess I deserve that, don't I? Um, there are so many good coffee, coffee roasters in Washington state. Yeah. Uh, it de- not to put it back on you. It depends on kind of what you like. I, m- my personal taste is I really kind of like, um, a darker roast. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a fan. Once again, it's the lack of palate for that third wave of coffee that people, the lighter stuff, there's some delicious stuff, but I, my, my go-to is, a uh, is, a real cup of mud, if you will. Yeah. And I drink black coffee. It'll be interesting. There's oh. a roast house in Spokane. Okay. They've, they great corporate culture. The owner is, she's fabulous. Um, their signature coffee is called the F bomb. Um, <laughs> awesome. And it's, yeah, it's, it is, it's, um, it, they're, in fact, our Explorer Washington State Coffee, we we partnered with them to do our coffee th- with them. Uh, they do great stuff. There's a, a roaster out of Twisp called Blue Star. Oh, somebody else mentioned that. Yeah, I, I like Blue Star's uh, coffee a lot. Um, and there's this guy out of Seattle, and I'm, and I'm feeling bad because I'm drawing a blanket who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't think of his name. Um, and I'm, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes below, and I'll send it to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's a, yeah, he does great stuff. I mean, now I've just totally discounted like, you know, 900 no, other no, good no, coffee companies. No, no. <laughs> no, no. You know, 
it's er, er, but my earlier in when I'm drinking today is Roast House. So there you okay. go. That's what that's what's in my cup today. It'll be interesting um, to see because Shay's back like Shay has a lot of back. He worked for like open Starbucks locations down in California. And also okay. his family um he owned a very renowned kind of coffee and cookie shop here on Orcas called Teasers. And he comes from okay. this family that's really, you know, they were kind of uh, icons of the island for many, many years. And so for me, I'm excited because I'm, my, my background is more in alcoholic beverages. And so like mm-hmm. I look at the similarities between tasting coffee and tasting wine mm-hmm. and just the place, the origin and the style and the cupping experience. So for me, like I'm super, super amped to get into a world where I'm really learning more about coffee. I don't know if you need more caffeine though. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you've got enough energy. You know, I don't know about it. I don't know, man. That's a good, um, that's a good point. <laughs> Thanks. So <Scott>. that's exciting. <laughs> so that's exciting that you guys are going to be doing that. And hopefully with a summer launch, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So when you're, you know, in your copious free time, when you're not like running a bottle shop or the Orcas project or this, this roots Orcas Island thing, what do you like to do for fun? What, tell us something about the island that I'm not going to find. Well, don't, I'm not asking you to give up any like, <laughs> island secrets. You're not but, getting any. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Like, but what is like, what's something that people should go experience that they might not hear about if they just did a quick search for things to do in the San Juans? Well, those are island secrets, Scott. I mean, come along now. Well, there's got to be something that's kind <laughs> right, of like right. off let, the. Let me let me give a softball to you and your your audience, our audience. Um, yes, I think well, one thing that I've really gotten into that anybody can do if they know the right places is uh, foraging for things. <laughs> foraging for things doesn't that sound interesting? <laughs> kind of ambiguous. Like, what are you foraging for? <laughs> um, in this things. instance, mushrooms. Um, <laughs> I love hunting for like oysters and chanterelles and, and things like that. There are a lot of really cool and those who know or learn, um, mm-hmm. Island is a beautiful place. Same as a peninsula or Eastern Washington to really kind of forage for things. So I've had a lot of fun listening to dark side of the moon while I stumble my way through. <laughs> I like animals though, just a little bit darker, like really like dialed in, like boom, 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 boom. Like, I, I kind of like wish you were here, but oh, anyway, <laughs> wish you were here is phenomenal too. It's a little more uplifting and happier. I, I, Except for Welcome to the Machine, if we cut that one out and just went with like, you know, um, I love Pink Floyd. Uh, so, yeah, so that's yeah. that's one thing. That's kind of cool. Um, and then I think just the hiking and just like kind of the the ability to kind of soak it in. I mean, Turtleback has beautiful vistas. And, and my mom lives right on the southeastern boundary side of Moran State Park. Um, I think okay. those are those are fascinating places to just kind of to go. And there's a lot of excitement. I think there's a lot of things that I don't know about. I have my ear to the ground here, but mm-hmm. I hear about new things every day and new people doing cool things. And there's just so much excitement up here right now that, I mean, I, I can't even – the pulse – pulse uh it's, it's all over the place right it's uh um, all right kayaking i think you, kayaking is really cool i think people who can it's very easy even for the inexperienced individual they can go out mm-hmm. and just stay very close to shore with a life jacket or if you really don't get caught by an, an orca pod yeah, bouncing you know, around and- <laughs> you might they might not be ready for that but uh that's another activity that you can grab a bottle of wine and some plastic cups you know you can get mm-hmm. some you know fresh dungeness crab from one of the locations here from the shellfish farm and you can just sit out there and I love on a summer day, even at Crescent beach, you know, for 
10 bucks, 15 bucks an hour, whatever it is. It's you sit out there with wine and a friend and uh, eat some crab and drink some, like, it's just, it's a pleasant experience that I think people just kind of drive by and don't think about sometimes, but that's the best happy hour spot down right there on the water. Okay. What about, and now, you know, unfortunately, you know, and I like to think we're getting towards the, the tail end of the pandemic. I'd like to think that life is going to revert back towards more social gatherings and, you know, more than two people at a time. Um, How's the Island music scene? Well, is there a, is there a scene up there? There has been, there has been historically there was, when I was younger as a child, there were more local acts and local bands and local, like, you know, the Grange and odd fellows. And there were some really cool local talent. Um, Mm -hmm. But generationally it seems to have shifted a bit. And, I mean, being gone for almost two decades, um, even mm-hmm. coming back now, it feels like there's a few more, you know, bands that come to play from other places. Um, I know that Avery Adams is playing great music and he's a, he's a talented chef here on the Island. Um, I know there's some great music on the Island and I wish that I had more names to just, you know, mm-hmm. our friends, I, Isaac Frosto is making some really cool music with, uh, okay. uh, he's doing kind of this hip hop. He's there's, some really cool music, but I wonder what it will be like. I also am curious, you know, as kind of COVID hopefully like the dissipates a bit, uh, what that will look like. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I really love the concerts we used to have in the fields. There used to be really, really cool concerts outside in fields, um, where we'd all kind of drive up and I'm hoping that, hoping that comes back. Okay. Earlier on, you, you mentioned golf. <laughs> Um, is there much golf on up there? Oh yeah. We can go up in the woods and you can hit like happy Gilmore style, like up in the trees, <laughs> basically see if you can. I'm talking about real courses oh, now. Come on. Okay. Um, sorry, sorry. So anyway, but let me ask you this question. So in your travels around the state, is there a golf course that pops to mind that you'd like? Oh, that that's a fun course. Well, you know, I talk a big game as you've seen over the last 53 minutes, but I, my, my golf, my, hey, my golf is terrible. My so golf is it's, terrible it's all too. good. My I, golf is terrible. Yeah. Shay and I go out a lot here. There's a nine hole course, um, okay. that Justin Taylor does a really good job taking care of. Okay. And I like to play with my brother-in-laws down in Seattle. We normally just play kind of the municipal courses and just kind of, okay. I don't have a favorite, but I'm going to, if we get back on the show and like, let's say, let's go for five years when I'm okay. have a little more time to just kind of relax. Um, you say that now in five years, I'll call you up and you go, well, I'm launching these six other things right now. No, no. Everything is rolling now because I want to be able to just chill in five years. That's the plan, Scott. Oh, okay. Good luck with that. Thank you. Thank Good you. Thank you very much. <laughs> There's no sarcasm in my voice. No. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, all right. So this is, I always like to ask people about, you know, coffee's my thing. So I'll skip coffee because you're going to be investigating that. But where uh, I come up to the Island for the, you know, I just say I hop on the ferry next week. So it's early spring. Where would be a great place for me to grab lunch? Oh man, there's a ton of cool places right now, but, um, I think that the spot that's attracted my attention is a place called Voyager. There is a okay. there is a lunch spot. It's run by a, a husband and wife team, and he used to be the culinary director at uh, Dobe Resort, John Chappelle. Oh. And the two of them and their team there are 
you know, they're putting out sandwiches, which kind of lead, but they're so talented mm-hmm. from a culinary background that it's almost like no matter what they do, they do it well. Um, the thing there, mm-hmm. like so many small businesses, they're just packed because, you know, locals recognize when a good thing happens. And so when somebody's right. starting to do that, then all of a sudden there's, I mean, it's like the eye of Mordor, you know, and there's just on them. And it's just like, they keep like a traction beam. And so like it's packed, but it's because they're doing a really good job, honest, good food. Um, I think mm-hmm. that if people explore their menu a little bit more, they do like a black cod pate, they do clams in season, they'll do oysters. They do these really cool things. People just come in for like their banh mis and they're like local sandwiches with like, you know, they use local pork, a lot of local ingredients. They have great relationships mm-hmm. with the farms. Um, so that would be kind of like, I think they're tucked away too, kind of close to us. So like you kind of have to work a little bit to find them. Um, but that's, mm-hmm. that's where I would say, and, and you know, and then okay. even once we open where we're going to be like, Hey, come see us. Like you have two lunches. So like have one lunch with us and one lunch with them. And right. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's the whole thing about uh, going to a place is like you, you, you said you, you you spend your time planning where you're going to eat and drink mm-hmm. the next week. You know, I'm kind of, you know, kind of, that's my thing too. So I always like to, tr- my goal when I travel, which to me seemed like a brilliant idea, but I guess it's been <laughs> done way many more times is to never eat somewhere that I can eat when I'm at home. You know, so it's always, sure. it, it, you know, but it's easier said than done. But if you're, if you're traveling to a town and you've traveled the world, I haven't done that. But if you, you know, if I'm driving to insert name of town here mm-hmm. in Washington, let's just say, I'll just pick a, uh, Sela, cool, random, nice. random town. I, I don't, I don't know where to eat in Sela, so you know, it's always kind of fun to to be armed with some ideas. Like, oh, if I go to Sela, I should go to here. Versus, you know, so I always like to ask, like, where's a great place to go to lunch? Because lunch is pretty casual normally for most of us, right? And um, I, I had this conversation once with a with a utility company worker. <laughs> And I was on the phone with her and I, it was, she was in Walla Walla and I asked her, I said, Hey, before we go, where's a great place to grab lunch in Walla Walla? And she was like, what? <laughs> I said, well, I got to come down to Walla Walla and I'm looking for a great place to go for lunch. She's like, I think that's the strangest question I've ever been asked while on this job. I'm like, okay, cool. And she told me to go to this place called Andre's kitchen, which was, oh, yeah. it was in a gas station. Yeah. And they're no longer there. They're no longer in the gas yeah, station. That's a, and they moved, they got their own brick and mortar space now. And I, I don't think I would have ever tried the food at the gas station Yeah. without somebody telling me go there. So I always like to ask because, you know, like Voyager, I don't know, maybe I'd go there and walk by and go, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'll go over here instead and I'll end up at the bad place, you know, or wherever. Cause you know, so. Yeah. We used to right. have, I used to, for a brief period of time, one of my uh, other business ideas, I wouldn't call it a failed business, but one of my other things, I, I bought a Mercedes sprinter van, like a really nice van. And I was doing uh-huh. like these tours of the Island, like local only tours, oh. taking people to like yeah. local producers into farms and having like picnics and like all these, it was cool, but, uh, it was a lot of work. So, <laughs> um, Voyager's easy. And then, you know, Buck Bay shellfish farm is kind of like, it's crazy these days because it's so popular, but the reason it's so popular is because you sit outside, you crack oysters, clams, fresh crab and eat, drink some wine. And, you know, Orcas is exciting. The islands are exciting, but those are definitely mm-hmm. spots that I would, I would go. Okay. So as we wrap this up, two things for you. Uh, first off, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online? 
Uh, you so can let's start with that. Okay. Uh, which, which website should we start with? Uh, you can it, go, go. That's up to you. Okay. You get to okay. decide. So basically dobewinecompany.com. Uh, you can order wine off of the orcasproject.com and then rootsorcasisland.com isn't active yet, but it will be soon. In which case you can okay. visit that. You can also check out Instagram pages. We're very active on Instagram at, at the Orcas project and at Dobe wine company. And, um, yeah, you can find us. <laughs> awesome. All right. So the last thing then is what do you want to leave our guests with? Tell them, you know, you get the final say final word. Okay. Well, uh, I hope that you love exploring Washington state as much as we do. Uh, and this guy, Scott is a hoot. So let me tell you, um, no, uh, we would love for the checks in the mail. We would love for you to visit us on the Island. Uh, please be respectful. I think that we've had a lot of tourism in the last couple of years and it it's uh, grown to the point where it is locals, you know, it is overwhelming sometimes for us. So uh, although we welcome you to the Island, we ask that you respect, especially in a time like now with uh, the current climate and, and COVID and realize that we have an older population. And so that no matter when you go, we're fiercely protective of our Island. So please, please visit, please, um, as you would respect any local spot. Sometimes people forget that on vacation, but I think it's extremely important. Um, and, uh, we'll be happy to help those who ask us questions and, and who take the time to get to know us. Um, but I do think that's really important and, uh, yeah, explore the whole state, explore all the areas because the islands get a ton of attention right now. We have a ton of press, but there are so many cool little places around the state that I go to when I leave the Island. And I think that's important too, um, from a personal professional last thing. Um, it's an exciting time for food and wine and beverages. And we're not the only company up here. There are a lot of other people on the islands doing extremely exciting things. So you can always reach out to us and we're happy to, to point you in, in a direction. And um, thank you for tuning in today. And thank you, Scott, very much All for right. having us. Thank you, Cole. That was, that's awesome. Thanks so much. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.